Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. So what we've been now, doing uh, here's last today's week and for the whole month, we are doing something that carols of Christmas. And every single Sunday, what we are doing is we are taking a Christmas hymn, a Christmas spiritual song. We're not looking at Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Grandma got run over by a reindeer. We're looking at the, the, the spiritual hymns and seeing the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy. And last week, we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And did anyone listen to that this week and kind of listen to it a little bit differently? There, there's so much meaning. And it's interesting because when you look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the reason it was written is because in the 8th and 9th century, there was really poor theology. And so the writers of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel wrote down a deep theological song so that as people sung it, there was this washing over of belief. Because when we sing something, we emotionally engage with it, we intellectually embrace it, and it becomes a deep truth to us. This is very interesting. This morning, we're going to look at a different one. Oh, holy night. And if any of you really want to know the history of these carols and these hymns, I want to encourage you to go to YouTube and watch some of the, the real stories behind the song. MTV used to have a thing called uh, Stories Behind the Music. It used to be great. It used to tell stories about how the songs were written. But, but YouTube does a great job with some of the Christmas hymns. And, and I want to tell you about O Holy Night because O Holy Night is very different than O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was written by theologians where O Holy Night was actually written by someone who was far from God. Rocamore, France, in the early 1800s, a priest had received a new organ, a refurbished organ, and they were going to dedicate the organ at the church. Remember back in the day, organs, they were like these holy instruments. Like you not only prayed over them, you anointed them, like you laid on top of them. No one was allowed to touch it. Like if you were a little kid, you'd get swatted to even go like in 10 feet radius of it. And so the priest had reached out to the local poet, who was actually a wine connoisseur. His name was Placid Capot. And Placid Capot was a poet. And he would, he would attend services like on Christmas and Easter. He was, he was one of those, right? One of those, right? C and E's. And he was asked to write a poem. And so he opened the Gospel of Luke, and he just took a moment. Matter of fact, it says that on a train ride, he sat down and he penned Cantique de Noel. Say that with me. Cantique de Noel. Oh, holy night. And they read it for the organ, and they blessed the organ, and, and people embraced it so much. And Placid said, there's something more to this. And so he reached out to his friend, Adolf Adam. And he was a very well-known composer. And Adolf was Jewish. So the words didn't mean anything to him. Matter of fact, he's like, how am I going to compose music for, for your spiritual hymn? But there was something about the poem that drew Adolf to wanting to compose the music. You see how rich this is? There's so much richness. And all of a sudden, this song just took off all throughout France, sung in every single mass during Christmas, and it just kind of took off. But all of a sudden, something was going on in society. 
And Placid became a socialist. And he became anti-government. And so the, the French church kicked him out along with his song. They said it was unsacred. It was unholy. It was not good. It was one of those things, I'm trying to, I had to quote what it, what it said. Total absence of the spirit of religion. That's what they said, oh, holy night was. The total absence of religion. And so Placid was banned from the church. And then when they found out that Adolf Adam was Jewish, they definitely said, uh-uh, no way. And so they stepped away. And what you see then is this song had so much life they couldn't get it out of the church. Think about that song. Oh, Holy Night is probably some of your favorite. Anyone in Oh, Holy Night, their favorite, right? right? You, you know, like if a church doesn't sing down on, on Christmas Eve or Eve before Eve, there's a problem. You're going to question whether you're going back January 1st or not. But, but then you see that all of a sudden that there was a man named John White, an abolitionist in the United States, a Unitarian pastor. Now, Unitarians believe in the social gospel, that the things of the gospel, the things of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are good, but Jesus is not divine. That's Unitarian theology. Jesus is not divine, but he was good. But there was a, a verse. There was a verse. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And for this Unitarian pa pastor who was in the midst of all that was going on in the U.S. with slavery, he said, this is something that needs to be worked into English. And he rewrote it in a way that the, that the, the church could sing it in the United States. And it took off. Well, wow, there's a lot to this song. You think maybe there's some more? There must be if he's introducing it that way. 1871, the, the Franco-Persian War. 1871, the Franco-Persian War. This is not legend, this is history. It was Christmas Eve, and it was midnight, and both armies were sleeping. And all of a sudden, one of the French soldiers went into the middle of the battlefield, and he started to sing, Oh, holy night. And one of his, the enemy troops heard this, and instead of shooting him, he laid his rifle down, and he walked up towards him and started singing a Christmas hymn by Martin Luther. And it is written in history, in 1871 Christmas Day, that there was a ceasefire for 24 hours. And the two who were once enemies for 24 hours became brothers. How amazing is that? You wonder if there's more to this. Well, let's jump to 1906. 1906, Reginald Fessenden. He studied under Thomas Edison. He was a chemist. And he actually created the first radio station that was specifically for freight, freight, uh, freight boats and, and people that were unable to be reached. But you wouldn't listen to words that were spoken. It was more like SOS and, and sending messages. But on Christmas Eve of 1906, Reginald Fessenden opened the Gospel of Luke. 
And he created a microphone that would be able to, for the very first time, words be spoken over the airways. And the very first thing that was ever spoken over the airwaves that went over the ocean was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm, how awesome is that? And then he picked up his violin and he started to play Cantique de Noel. Oh, holy night. The first song was not written by Taylor Swift. I'm sorry, Swifties. It was Cantique de Noel. Oh, holy night. Think about that. You know what's so interesting? When I hear that story, God is creator. Satan is imitator. You know that? All good and holy things God created. And the only thing that Satan can do is imitate the things of God. But for bad. I mean, think about radio now. Where is it gone? But here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to take this, this hymn and why it was written and bring it into the Christmas narrative so that one, our hearts would be drawn to knowing Jesus and then we would make him known. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for this morning. And God, there's so much to those who had authored songs that have been sung for over a hundred years. God, it's been almost 150 years that we've been singing this song through the church. Allow this morning to teach us to not only know the song, but to sing it for how it was truly, truly written. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, 8 through 12. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 12. If I could just make one little an announcement. Is it really hot in here? Or is it just me? Okay. Uh, Carly. Can someone find Carly to make sure that she... Hi, Carly. Thank you. Can you just turn off the heat and open the windows and all the doors? Because I am sweating. I am sweating. So, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? All people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in the manger. Let's look at this passage. The first to hear. The first to hear. And I have a cute little cartoon images that are going to go up behind me just because I thought it'd be a fun morning to, to tell this through the eyes of the cartoon. The first to hear, the first to hear that I find so interesting were not the religious leaders. The first to hear was not Augustus. But they were all informed that he was coming. Remember that. They were all informed that Jesus was coming. 
all the religious leaders, all the powers that be, they all were waiting for this one day when Savior Jesus, Yeshua, Messiah, would come to earth. But there was a reason. The first to hear were shepherds. Shepherds in a field nearby. And you could put the little cartoon thing up behind me. How cute is that? There were shepherds in a field nearby. Meaning what? Nearby Bethlehem. Bethlehem is so significant. Scripturally, everybody knew the Messiah would come from there. But intellectually and emotionally, they could never, ever grasp it. And so there were shepherds. And I find it very interesting that the first to respond, the first to hear, were those that were least likely to have given Jesus the yes. You see, shepherds were, were dirty. Shepherds were uneducated. Shepherds were the lower class. Shepherds were, were one of two things. One, they were raised in a family where, where, where shepherding was, was really the DNA of who they all are. Or believe it or not, if someone got in trouble, a criminal, an offender, they would have the opportunity to work in the fields. I find it so interesting now that God had deemed these individuals right to respond to him. Let me read a verse to you. 1 Corinthians 1.27. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God had a very deep intent to bring the good news to those who would quickly respond. And I think it's so interesting that when we look at our lives, are we individuals who, who seek power, who seek wisdom, who seek fame in such a way that we blind ourselves from the work of God, from that which God wants to deeply do in each one of us. And for God, he knew that these were the individuals that would give him their yes. Very powerful. It causes us to have to really think, who are we in light of God? Are we too prideful? Are we too arrogant? I mean, think about Placid. When he was asked to write this hymn, to write a poem, more than likely his first thought was, why me? I don't even go to mass every week. I don't even go quarter of the time. But there was something going on where the priest didn't deem him responsible enough, but God saw fit that Placid would be the one to be able to look at the gospel truth in such a way to pen it that we would be able to sing so easily and so freely. 
I love that when you look all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, God always found the lowly. Think about Moses. Moses was once a prince, and he was far from God. He didn't know God. He didn't worship God. But when Moses came to the bottom of himself, and he was a shepherd, and he was dirty, and he was stanky, and he was pushing a herd, and one of them got lost, God showed up. And in God's perfect timing, Moses' heart was so ready and so aware and so attentive that when he stood before the bush, he took off his shoes and he says, I am standing on holy ground. Plant family, I think one of the hardest areas in the world for the gospel to penetrate it's right here. Because we are told to be proud. We are trained to be arrogant. It is instilled in us that, that confidence causes us to survive. And yet when you look all throughout scriptures, always the first to hear and the first to respond were those who were broken. Those who knew their place in the universe. And their hearts were always receptive, no matter how dark, no matter how far, their hearts were always available. I think it's really interesting, too, about shepherds because they had one job with two roles. Watch the sheep. That's it. Watch the sheep. Because the sheep had two purposes. To feed the community and to worship God. That's all it was. Anyone like a good lamb chop? Anyone? Right? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone, right? Like, it's true. There's something about a lamb chop. You can't eat it too often or you feel like there's something wrong with you. But, but, but when you do eat it, you're like, that was a good lamb chop. But, but there's two things that, that, that sheep are for, feeding and worshiping. And the way that the angels approached the shepherds, they knew their role. They knew their responsibility. They knew that they were allowing others to be ushered into the holiness of God. And they also knew that Isaiah said, there will be one more lamb, one more final lamb that represents all those little sheep out in the pastures. And he will be the lamb of God who has the power to take away the sins of this Have you ever thought of the weightiness of that? That Jesus, the Lamb of God, took away the power of the sin of mankind from this world. It's powerful. And all of a sudden you see with, with the shepherds and the angels, they have this, this an encounter 
this unlikely encounter with holiness. I love this cartoon picture. Would you put it up there for me? The shepherds and the angels. Right? It's kind of freaky, huh? There was another one where the angel was like cross-eyed. I'm like, can't put that one up. Well, I'll be freaking out. But, but there's something. We got to remember, and, and Sue will be preaching on this next week, there was a host of angels. It wasn't angel singular, like with Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. There was a host of angels. And they had an, an unlikely encounter with holiness. You see, here's the problem. We think that we have to be perfect to stand before perfection. That is the furthest from the truth. Well, I'll come to the plant, but I need to get my act together. Really? That's how it works? There's a problem if people believe that. No. We come as we are so Jesus can fully transform our lives. We are like the shepherds. We're dirty. We're stanky. Yes, there are times people don't want to be near you because you emotionally and relationally reek. Do you know that? People avoid you at times. Whether you want to think so or not, it is true. And yet, these shepherds were invited to an unlikely place of holiness before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. You see, this is what I love. Let me get a little theological right now. Salvation, sanctification. Salvation is when we give Jesus our yes. Amen? All who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There is one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. But then there's sanctification. It's the cleanup part. It's where salvation invites us to the manger. But sanctification allows us to walk hand in hand with the king. Sanctification means this, that we are set apart to be fully God's. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. No height, no depth, no angel, no demon. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But here's what it also does. It separates us from the power of sin and death. You do not have to be controlled by your nature any longer. Seriously. You can choose to, you can want to, you can fall prey to, but you no longer have to. Let's do this. That's why I love preaching multiple services, because you always, you always get the vibe, you always get the feel. Say this, I don't have to. That's it. I don't have to. Come on, a little louder. I don't have to. I'm going to turn my shoes on if you don't say it really loud. I don't have to. That's sanctification. Because you are set apart to God. How awesome is that? And when you look at the shepherds, that's who we should be. We should be living such lives that people just follow us to the manger because there's something holy that lives in us as people watched a brokenness become whole. I love 
I really love this church. I really do. I really do. I love that after seven years, we did an analysis of our congregation. 70% of our church, year seven, were people who came to Jesus for the first time through this congregation. How awesome is that? Right? How awesome is that? And I know that that's our norm. And everyone says at year 10, everything's going to change. We won't let it change. I'm just going to point out Terry Rona. Hi, Terry. How are you? If anyone ever has feet problems, go to Terry. She's a foot doctor. What are they called? Podiatrist? Right? That's right. Great foot doctor. Terry has this ability to bring friends like crazy to church. And all she does is she invites them. And she gives them opportunities to know Jesus. And some of them totally like latch on, they're all in. And others says, good for you. But there's something that I see year, thir- year 15 at the plant, year 15 at the plant, never left the DNA of who we are. Because we all are like shepherds. Dirty, nasty, stanky who carry this holiness with them into all areas of our lives. How beautiful is that? Oh, holy night. Such a powerful psalm. Luke 2, 16 through 20. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened. After seeing this, what did they do? They told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. They weren't amazed. Here comes the drunk shepherds coming from the Bawa Barn Grill. Right? Like, 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 right? Were they sipping on something in the field too much? Like, we have no idea, but they were astonished. Astonished is not a good word. It's an offensive word. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You see, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you can't contain it. It's not the gospel. It's the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in you, the good news, the gospel living in you, breathing in you. It's the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus living and dwelling in you that your life is uncontainable. And we see that with the shepherds. We see that with the shepherds. After worshiping Jesus at the manger, they went into town and shared their gospel experience. And they went into this little village And everyone knew that that Bethlehem had a divine place in the heart of God. Everyone knew that that the shepherds had a divine place in the heart of God. I mean, Jesus is called our good shepherd. And yet they couldn't believe 
But to the shepherds, it's like, so what? So what? Have you ever believed something so much that to others it's like, so what? And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean, I mean that like deep, deep, deep convictions. So what? We've allowed our culture to determine how we contain the good news in our lives. Do you know that? We allow others around us to, to really express our true beliefs about Jesus. Terry, you do a fabulous job keeping Jesus uncontainable in your life. Because when I think about, when I think about the shepherds, here's what I hear them singing. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Can't you just hear the shepherds singing? They probably didn't have an English accent, though, saying thee. But can't you hear them saying, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive its peace. Their lives were uncontainable. Imagine the, how they treated the sheep differently. Imagine that. Imagine how they love those little lambs. Imagine how that, the next Passover event, the next 33 Passovers, how they handled things. Imagine them when they heard about the Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, was put to death, and was risen back to life. Imagine that out of the 400 people that saw Jesus after the resurrection, were any of them shepherds? And said, yeah, I know. Imagine that. Imagine that. They're like, are you walking with Jesus in such a way that you allow for the divine to step into your day at any given moment? How powerful is that? Because here's the reality. When you experience the good news of Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your, into your heart, and he's not this little action figure that sits on, on, on the throne of your heart and it's your ticket into heaven. No, Jesus stays at the throne. He gives you his Holy Spirit to live in you, breathe in you, and dwell you, empower you, change you. He doesn't revive us. We look at like spiritual life as like Jesus comes and he's like, okay, let's get him back to life. Let's get him back to life. Let's get him back to life. No, he takes that which is dead and makes it alive again. Come on. You got to get a little Pentecostal. Amen? Amen? Right? That's what he does. It's not a reviving. It's not like, like code red, code blue, whatever it is. It's he gives us new life. And you are uncontainable. I say this all the time since COVID. You're like a holy form of COVID. You just breathe on people and some get it and some don't, right? <laughs> so, some get it, some don't. But this is the one we want people to get, right? Right? 
Sue always jokes, she's always like, you're like the last one to ever get COVID. I'm like, because I'm like taller than everybody. She's like, you're taller, so when they breathe on you, they just get it on your sweater. Right, like, <laughs> side note, sorry, off pace. But, but, but think about this. Think about, think about this poem. Think about how powerful this poem is. It wasn't a priest who invited Placid to write it. It was Jesus. Someone who was so far from God, but when he read the good news, something shifted. We don't know the rest of his narrative. We want to assume. And then all of a sudden, Adolf Adams, a Jewish composer, is invited. Hey, hey man, just read it. Trust me. Try it. Like, imagine the tension in his own soul. And every time you hear this, that a Jewish composer, yes, Jesus came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You live in Bergen County, you have a Jewish neighbor, Jesus came for them first. I'm sorry. And then us. That's theology. I mean, the birds, they like are in the heart of Judaism. And I love how you two just love your neighbors as yourself. When Sabbath is happening, they call the birds up to turn lights on and turn stoves on. And and when things happen, when days of the week that their Jewish community cannot do things, guess who is present? The birds. That's gospel present. And one day, that neighborhood is going to start following Yeshua. Messiah, because of them. Think about this. Think, you can clap for them, yes. Think about this. And then, all that was going on in the U.S., all the slavery, a Unitarian man who didn't even believe in the divinity of Jesus, read this poem, Cantique de Noel, or heard it in French, and he said, you know what? There's one line. Chain shall he break, For the slave is my brother. There's something divine there. And John Dwight writes it up. And he starts passing it out through all the churches. And all the churches start singing, oh, holy night. Someone who didn't even believe in the divinity of Christ proclaimed because something in that moment believed that the divinity of Jesus could stop slavery. Come on. That's orthopraxy. I mean, think about that. Right now in the U.S., Not in the U.S., globally. In the U.S., back in the day, we had major, major slavery. Right now, globally, globally, there is more slavery in our world right now than any other time in history. Do you know that? And you know who it mainly involves? Children. Seriously? You know what Jesus says to the offender? I'm going to take a milestone. That's a big old stone. Tie it to their neck and throw them into the depths of the sea. And yet even they have the opportunity for the gospel. You see, what would happen if the church really stood up against slavery? What happened if the church became so generous that welfare would be eradicated? What would happen if we all became so uncontainable for the things of Jesus that this world actually changed? Think about that. And then, 
out of nowhere. Some dude was so bored, Reginald Fessenden, he was up one night, Christmas Eve, and he says, let me try it. Let's see if it works. And those who were unable to go to church got to hear the gospel and hear, oh, holy night, be sung. Think about the history. Uncontainable. Imagine being that soldier Christmas Eve. Imagine sitting in the foxhole. Imagine wondering if the next day you were going to die. Imagine sitting there and wondering, like, like, did his best friend just get murdered? Killed? We have no idea what was happening in that young man's life. But something was so uncontainable that he stepped out into the middle of the battlefield and said, so what? Oh, holy night. And he starts singing. Is your life uncontainable? I am tired of churches not speaking a radical gospel. Do you know what it was said in the 1800s? That this was the most radical hymn, Christmas hymn ever written. Why? Because think about all that went through the lives of the people that were either part of writing it or singing it or sharing it. This was radical steps. It's time that our lives are filled with the work of Jesus in such a way that we are uncontainable. So let's wrap this up this morning. First, do you know that you are invited to the manger? Do you know you're invited to the manger? No matter who you are, and we love to say, past tense, what you've done. Let me change it. What you're doing. What you're doing. Do you know what you're doing right now? Last night, yesterday, this morning? Jesus invites you to the manger. Because you, like the shepherd, he wants you to experience the holiness of God that you would be able to live the life that Jesus has for you, set apart to him and no longer have to be controlled by the powers of this world. That's the invitation. That's what makes the night holy. What makes the night holy is the one who is in the manger is holy. And all of our holiness is not wrapped up in what we do, but rather who he is and who we are as sons and daughters of God. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And then part two. Will you allow the spirit of God to allow you to live an uncontainable life? You see, whenever we do certain things at the church, it's, it's practicing. Practicing. Whenever we started God in the Bar, we were practicing people to be able to invite their friends out for a good meal, have good food and a drink, and talk about Jesus. Because most people, when they hang out with their friends and they're having a good meal and having a drink, they don't talk about Jesus. 
we practice it. Today, we practice going to the Mawa Bar and Grill for our Christmas celebration, practicing singing, declaring who Jesus is. And yes, we will sing, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I know, and poor Sue, she's a grandma now. I will try to avoid, avoid that today. But more importantly, we get to declare who Jesus is. Amen? And this is my prayer, that together we would declare, let all within us praise his holy name. This is what I pray. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaimed. His power in our lives, his glory in our lives forevermore are being proclaimed every single day of our lives. Who cares what you leave on this earth? You've heard it. The hearse does not bring a U-Haul to your gravesite. You have one thing and one thing alone that you leave on this earth. Your integrity and who you are as you stand before the throne room of God. I love that I can declare I was a nasty shepherd. But today, I am a redeemed, revived, al alive, born again follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's who you are. So here's what I want to challenge you. We're going to take communion. We're going to eat and drink today. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, eat. Let's eat. And he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. You get to live an uncontainable life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. You come to Jesus broken, he fills you with his Holy Spirit, and you live an uncontainable life. Let's drink it. When we sing this hymn, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you stuff about himself and who you are today. And when you get to that point in the song where it says, fall on your knees, I want to encourage you to find that posture. I want to encourage you to just have a holy, sacred moment. So what if no one else kneels? Find that moment where you get to say, O night divine, O night divine, I will praise your name forever. Jesus, I ask you for a moment. I ask you for a holy moment. God, there's so many Sundays I walk away saying, what the heck did I do? But God, I laid out today. I laid out today because there is some who need this. May we have a sacred moment. Let's worship Jesus together.
Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.